0: After good evening swim, this. Eagle Eyes on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. This is actually the first episode we are ever actually recording for Anchor. This is the new platform that we're on. So we're going to do things a little different, but only slightly. It's mostly going to mean that uh, from here on out, there's going to be way less ads. Like we'll get more down the road, but the main reason we left... Spreaker in the first place was they were requiring a ridiculous number of ads. You've noticed it. And I could see it actually hurting the viewership quite a bit. And then on top of that, the amount of ad revenue we were making wasn't even paying for the bill for Spreaker. So we switched to Anchor. Um, So far, I'm liking it, but it's still really really early it's not even been a full week and like i said this has been this is literally the first episode we're recording on the new system so we're going to see how things go uh this uh, this uh episode will most likely not have any ads whatsoever other than self promotional sort of stuff so uh a big change from how we normally do it which is good What isn't good, however, is the fact that the DC Police Department was apparently a victim of a ransomware attack. Because, of course, on any day that ends with Y, someone, somewhere, had to fall for some kind of ransomware attack. Or a ransomware attack was so clever that it got past the basic security measure of not clicking the sketchy link but here we are the police department apparently it has their computers being held ransom by a ransomware attack demanding access for the police department's sensitive information we're not being told much more than that because of course it is not just any police department but the police department of the capital of the United States of America. Oh, boy. Not much other information is being asked for in regards to that. But, yeah, it it is at least known that The attackers are demanding an unknown amount of money. No information yet to find out exactly what's all being taken. I would imagine that the hackers already, if they have the ransomware on there, have already gotten access to some kind of confidential information out of the police department. So I guess at this point, all we can do is play the wait and see approach. Which I'm not going to lie. Not a great approach. But Of course, you know. As this story develops, I have a feeling we're not going to hear a whole lot. Just by the very nature of the fact that it is, in fact. You know, the police department of Washington, D.C., I also don't expect to hear a whole lot about DigitalOcean and the fact that uh, their customer billing data was accessed in a data breach. This is a big, uh, big yikes. Because, of course, having information like names, phone numbers, and addresses is really bad. That can always be used by... Scammers to. Fulfill out their scams. Billing data though. That can of course include things like. Card numbers. Bank account numbers. Routing numbers. In addition to. Names. And addresses. Now, of course, this was caused by a quote. I'm sorry. It was quote gained access from. Let me let me let me rephrase that. I, I'm phrasing this wrong. That there is quote now Digital Cloud or Digital Ocean. I'm sorry. Says that they have confirmed an unauthorized exposure of details associated with the billing profile on your Digital Ocean account. The company then said that the person quote. Gained access to some of your billing account details through a flaw that has been fixed. And this happened in a two-week window between April 9th and April 22nd. But don't worry. Because passwords and account tokens were not involved. Oh, well, thank God the thing I can easily change wasn't, wasn't accessed. Oh, it was just my billing information. Oh, that's no big, right? It's definitely not life-changing to, uh, have my credit card number stolen or anything like that. Nah, that's just, I mean, freaking just the credit card information means, and That's just a simple call and contacting literally everyone and their mother that has access to that card that bills it annually and having to change the new number and then find out you missed three and then, of course, get a get past due notice in the in the mail and angry people and then having to deal, deal with that. That's no big deal, right? At least it wasn't your password. I mean, I get that it's important to say what has and hasn't been accessed. And in fact, depending on, you know, where DigitalOcean is all based in, I don't even know what DigitalOcean is. I have no idea what they are. I would assume like some cloud hosting website or something. I'm actually trying to quickly find what, what they're based on. I don't even think the story even says. It doesn't. I have no idea. Oh, wait. No, the it it does say a cloud infrastructure giant. Oh, I called it. Now, of course, a lot of this detail, they probably have to tell because they have customers in Europe and in other countries and uh, every country. It is required that you reveal certain aspects of it, but not others. And it's uh, it's a a big mess. I'm so glad that my work isn't international. That we are strictly local. That makes my life so much easier What would also make my life so much easier is if Microsoft would just let me choose when my updates can happen so issues like this don't happen. Windows 10 has a big, not a security vulnerability, but a performance bug. Two specific patches. Mandatory security patch KB5001330. And optional update kB five zero 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 eight four two both can absolutely tank gaming performance as well as the performance of other high workload applications, but specifically has a much bigger application a much bigger hit. In a number of games, including stuttering, flickering, and text rendering issues. But thank God those patches are mandatory and you have no say about it. Woo! Honestly, this is nowhere near as bad as a lot of other unintentional side effects of other Windows updates that never get talked about at all. I cannot even begin to tell you how many times after a big Windows security patch that Windows has just decided, oh, you see that mixer that you spent literally weeks fine-tuning the software to make sure that it was as compatible with all your systems as possible? You know, the thing that makes it so that your desktop that normally only has one or two audio devices has 28 because every single one of those goes ahead and is, there, is detected as their own individual device to make sure you have all those channels and makes all your podcasting and streaming work absolutely flawless. Yeah, we're just going to reset all that. And then you're not going to notice it until you try to get ready to stream and uh, find out that no music plays at all. None, zip, zero, nada. Thanks. Thanks, Microsoft. Compared to nonsense like that, this is actually rather minor, but, you know, at least Microsoft went ahead and uh, issued an emergency fix for performance issue. I'm sorry. Emergency fix for performance issues. I don't know why that was a tongue twister. But apparently it was. So if you have been noticing some big performance issues in your gaming, it is not your graphic card dying. Don't worry. Do not panic. You do not have to give in to the scalpers yet. Or hopefully ever. It is most likely not your graphic card dying. It is, in fact, quite possibly a Windows update that has bricked your performance go ahead and update you know past ranting and frustrating aside i actually can't remember the last time that a windows 10 update actually did brick my mixer it's been a while well now that i said that i can't wait for for my mixer to stop working this tuesday when the next patch comes out oh boy you know it's going to happen now that I said something. I have jinxed myself. I don't know why I said anything. Let's shift gears a bit. Wolf Fire Games has filed a complaint against Valve, specifically trying to claim that uh Valve has been prefor- has been taking on a monopolistic behavior. ...in the way that Valve handles its Steam gaming platform. The actual document is... ...well, it's a legal document, so it's a massive... ...why the heck did I go ahead and down... ...oh, God. In my notes, for some reason, this is past me's fault. I went ahead and used a copy of the actual complaint... The actual complaint that was filed is a massive... Oh, Lord. How big is this thing? 78 pages. Even though the last page says it's page 76. So go ahead and figure that one out. But basically, their complaints go down to the fact that... um, Apparently one of uh, the rules in being in in the Steam uh, library is that you cannot offer a lower discount on another platform than you can on Steam. So say if you go for sale on, say, the Epic Game Store and your $10 game goes on sale for $3 on Epic, you have to also run a sale at the same time on Steam as well and that seems to be the core argument that actually has any kind of merit in the complaint the rest of the of the filing includes such things as well Valve owns like 80% ish of the PC gaming market but doesn't provide any reason as to ...why them having 80% of the gaming market is monopolistic. Monopolistic implies... ...by its definition... ...that the reason... ...a company has a large market share... ...is because they are doing something to stifle innovation. Valve, for the most part... ...doesn't do anything to stifle innovation... Valve, for the most part, just has a large monopolistic hold on the PC gaming distribution market because Valve was there first and put out a very good product. And that's my biggest hit against other competitors to Steam. If you're going to go ahead and compete against Steam, you need to have as good a product. And that was the biggest problem that the Epic Game Store had. They just didn't have the feature set or the stability for that fact that Steam had. The same thing on the Windows Store. And the other thing is that when it comes to Windows... You have a choice. Now, there was a fear for a while that Windows 10, when they launched their own store, that it would not allow other stores on the Windows platform. That is monopolistic. What's going on on iOS, where the... Apple App Store is the only way, literally the only way to get any sort of app on your device without breaking the terms of service. That is monopolistic. What Valve is doing here, with the exception of, like I said, the complaint about running a sale on a platform that isn't Steam, isn't monopolistic. It's not. But we'll see how this case goes. I'm willing to bet it's going to be... I mean, for the most part, I don't think it's going to change a whole lot. I think for the most part, this is only going to... Potentially make it so that that part of being on Steam, the part about sale prices, is taken out. Because I... I personally do believe that forcing a company to run a sale on Steam at the same time that you run a sale on another platform is ridiculous. I think that's really dumb. But we'll see how this case goes. But I'll, I'll save you the time. The 78 pages is dumb. It really, really is. What's also dumb... Is... This... Little law... Made by the state of New York. I actually want to quickly double check to make sure... Yes, no, this is a state law. New York State... Has... Required that all ISPs in the state... Must offer a $15 a month option for their service for those who are low income. Now, if I told you, now you you have to think about this carefully because on its face, the idea of saying, hey, you really should offer a low-cost a low cost option for those who are less fortunate. That makes sense. That sounds like, on, on its face, that sounds like a good idea. But now let's look at the big picture, all right? You offer a service to the state. Alright, you went ahead, you invested millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of dollars to run your wires and create this infrastructure across the state. And now you are required to set a very specific price. And it has to very specifically only affect a certain number of people. This then immediately goes from good idea to wait a second. Oh, and then on top of that, because you went ahead and you spent these millions upon millions upon millions of dollars I am just pulling numbers out of the air. I have no idea what it costs specifically to set up this sort of thing. You have to then go ahead and also pay a licensing fee to the state to go ahead and be allowed to even keep your infrastructure running. And oh, by the way, they are also now requiring you to set a specific price. Are you even running your own show anymore? Now, I will fully admit the details of the law. I actually don't recall it. Oh, yeah, it actually does specifically say what the speeds have to be. The state law specifically requires that the $15 Broadband plans must have at least download speeds of 25 megabits per second and it has to be inclusive of any recurring taxes and fees such as recurring rental fees for service provider equipment required to obtain the service this gets even more maddening We can consider some of these places charge like $10 a month to rent the modem. These same ISPs can also alternatively comply with the law by offering a $20 a month per service with 200 megabits per second download speeds. So this starts getting really awkward, and a lot of this also has to do with what does the state of New York also charge for the ISP to run its infrastructure? That is one giant big question mark in all this. I also then wonder... How much of this is actually legal? Because you are now setting a very strict set of guidelines that the ISP has to do. Don't misunderstand me, though. I do want. in, In an ideal world. Everyone would have access to the Internet. And at speeds that are not absolutely unbearable heck the outrageous price of ten dollars a month to rent a eighty dollar modem would also be non-existent by the way like i just said easiest way to save a little bit of money on your internet bill go buy your own modem go buy your own router Heck, a lot of these mesh routers are so simple to set up, I'm pretty sure even my grandmother could run. It's not like the olden days where you had to actually have like a little bit of Cisco knowledge to run these things. It is very simple, and the $10 to $20 a month you're paying in those rental fees is absolutely ridiculous. Easiest way to save a little bit of money. And then of course I actually we actually do have in our twitch community a couple of people who actually live in the states of New York, and already the reliability there is absolutely abysmal. I kind of wonder in that same regard if there's any other regulations that are that forbid the ISPs from doing any kind of upgrading as well unless it fits within a certain parameter. So, we're going to see how this goes. This is going to be very, very interesting to say the least, especially since the state and city of New York both have uh, been extremely hostile to just anyone running any kind of business as of late. If you actually want more detail on that, a uh, YouTube channel by the name of Lewis Rossman who actually has been covering a lot about Right to Repair, which we have talked about here, has also been talking about some of the astronomically dumb things that have been going on in the world of managing a business in the city of New York. This lawsuit's going to get interesting. It's going to get very, very interesting. And I actually... As much as I'd love to see the ISPs be forced to actually offer service at a reasonable rate, I do fear that if this lawsuit gets struck down, that it could set a precedent that could be really, really bad for any kind of body of government forcing any company to do anything. But again, we shall see. And then finally, before we get to our first break, Roku is going to be stop. It is is potentially going to no longer carry YouTube TV after accusing Alphabet, the parent company of Google, who is the parent company of YouTube. to be uh, to, to be participating in anti-competitive behavior. Now, someone in chat says the ISP could just leave the state. The problem right now in New York and it, it varies from section to section of the state. For the most part from what I hear, there is really only two to three options. And in some ca- in some parts of the state, there is only one ISP. It's usually either Spectrum, who apparently has no idea how to run cables out there, because every, you ask anyone in the state of New York about Spectrum, and they curse its name. It is apparently the worst thing on the planet out in, out in the state of New York, which always blows me away, because here in Wisconsin, Spectrum is by far the most stable option. By far, without a doubt. Which always just goes to show, hey, it's case to case. I believe Comcast also is an option there. And then Verizon has their Fios option, which is their fiber to the home option only in New York City. There's probably also Comcast out there, but let's be honest, you really, really shouldn't use Comcast. Comcast. Go ahead and do literally anything else but use Comcast. Now, back to the story at hand. Um, Roku. If you don't know Roku, they were one of the original set-top box. Kind of smart TV competitors. Uh, Roku's have been around for a while. They are a small little box that you plug in. And unlike a Chromecast actually gives you a full UI oh god actually I can't even say that anymore because now Chromecast actually has its own UI freaking everything is now just a complete actual set top box Chromecast actually used to just be only operated from your phone and you'd pretty much just sling whatever's on your phone to whatever the Chromecast is plugged into But Roku would actually go ahead and uh, you could get a whole bunch of stuff with a Roku. Like pretty much everything. But apparently, YouTube TV, which is a. uh, What would you call YouTube TV? An abomination? A nightmare? Kind of hard to say, right? YouTube TV just never really seemed to take off at all. But according to Roku, it is, quote, is using unfair terms that could harm our users. At least that's what they're saying. Now, what's going on according to according to Roku? And I want to also state because I'm going to be quoting the article a lot here is that up is that, this is from ing IGN. So you know, you know, you take this w- with you know your ing grain of salt. At least it's not actually. You know, you want know to be really IGN IGN at the end of this whole thing of Roku ripping on YouTube TV if at the bottom of this article i g n would uh would just say by the way we rate uh, YouTube t v ten out of ten that that would be very i g n but Roku is exactly claiming that that um that Wait, hold on. I was actually to re- read the wrong thing here. Unlike previous public disputes that disputes that Roku has found itself in with other media, media companies, the issue isn't about what percentage of a cut Google takes when customers sign up for YouTube TV. Instead, this one marks the first time that Roku is alleging, and you can hear from Google, specifically r- related to acts that would manipulate search results and impact the usage of customer data, according to. Roku's email Google however is alleging that uh, is allegedly asking Roku to suppress search results from some of Google's biggest competitors in the streaming space like Netflix and HBO max if a competitor is searching for something in in YouTube according to variety if true requesting special search access and preventing competitors from servicing in favor of YouTube is a perfect example of anti-competitive behavior in those same allegations. Google is, of course, denying the claims made by Roku, noting that Roku often engages in these type of tactics in their negotiations, adding that we're disappointed that they choose to make baseless claims while we continue our ongoing negotiations in a statement to IGN. That is, in fact, what uh, Google is claiming here. I actually would be very curious. Unfortunately, I don't own a Roku, so I can't test this for myself. But if Google is actually doing this, and this wouldn't be the first time that... uh, Google has been. It has been claiming that it. Uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. This might be the first time that Google has been accused of manipulating the search results. There have been plenty of claims made by the EU against Google that they have been preferring their own tools over competitors now if that actually is happening here on Roku's own platform then there is a bit of concern honestly for the most I I am actually legitimately curious. What is the usage of YouTube TV? I know literally no one that ever said, wow, YouTube TV. I love that service. Literally no one. I would assume that, you know, if this was actually going on. Roku would just cut ties and not even go through it, not even go through negotiation. Just like, yeah, we're done with you. Bye. This kind of makes me lead to believe that uh, this actually might be a negotiation tactic. That's kind of my theory. Someone in chat says that YouTube TV is more expensive than sling. I just realized that um, our in-chat bot in in Twitch, there's apparently a glitch, and it is just reacting every single time someone says the word YouTube. That is incredible. We're going to take our first break here when we come back. The Apple versus Epic Games case actually begins soon let's quickly round up all the details in regards to it enjoying the show so far well you'll be happy to know that there actually is a smaller more bite-sized version of this podcast i call it the early burb briefing which you can find at anchor.fm slash early burb briefing. That's B-I-R-B. Keep that in mind. That airs every single day, a little bit of four minutes. And that's it. Targeting one single story, sometimes two. But it's a nice little bite-sized version of this podcast. You want, and I highly recommend go check it out. back eagle eyes on tech i'm eagle falcon so during the break we were talking with the chat about uh what even is youtube tv so my original assumption was that it was some kind of competitor to hulu and netflix it's actually much closer to being a competitor to sling as an actual pure cable replacement now, Sling offers a wide number of plans. They actually start from $35 all the way up to $50. The amount of channels they offer is somewhere between $30 and $50 plus, And you do have d- built-in DV- DVR storage up to 50 hours. YouTube TV, on the other hand, is noticeably more expensive. $65 a month, offering over 100 channels. And unlimited DVR storage for nine months. And offering supposedly more local channels than Sling to pay on your market. So I can kind of see the appeal of YouTube TV. I have no idea how many people actually buy into it. But then again, the entire market for Sling has been limited. You don't hear, like, those who use Sling, love it. You ever find a Sling user? They are in love with their Sling service. I have never heard anyone look at YouTube TV and go, wow, that's amazing. And I think it also has to do with, with that price tag. It was $50. Slings was also lower as well. But now Slings has gone up a little bit, and YouTube's is $65. Granted, that is less expensive than a cable bill. But holy cow. That is that is a hard pill to swallow. So I am still under the opinion that it may very well be a negotiation tactic by Roku. But if it's not, and it would not surprise me at all, if it was not and... And this, and this is, in fact, YouTube absolutely trying to push their own stuff over others. Then that is a very, very scummy thing to do. So with that, let's actually move on to uh, someone in the chat actually does want to point out that uh, when the prices went up, slings went up by only about five dollars. YouTube's went up by 15. At least in the case of YouTube versus YouTube TV versus Sling, at least you are getting more with YouTube TV. I will say that much. But at the same time, I also would say do your own research. Because, of course, what's available is going to depend drastically. On where you live. And then of course just compare the two. If you want channel XYZ or the Yu-Gi-Oh! Dueling channel which I just made up. And it's only on YouTube TV and Sling doesn't have it. Well then obviously you're going to go with the YouTube TV. Because the Yu-Gi-Oh! Dueling channel is that important to you despite the fact I just made it up. But if you can live without the Yu-Gi-Oh dueling channel because you think it's dumb because I just made it up, then of course you're going to go with sling. That being said, though, bad business practices are still bad. Only bold statements here. Just to remind you, only bold statements. All right, let's talk about the trial that still has not happened, despite the fact it feels like it has been happening for 19 years. Apple versus Epic Games. This has been a trial that we have been talking, I want to say now for a full year. The way this all started, for those who somehow don't remember, or just tried to block out of your memory, in which case I don't blame you, is that Epic Games owns the game Fortnite. You might have heard of it. If you haven't, don't worry. You're in a better place because you haven't heard of it. On the iOS platform, Epic decided they were going to offer an additional payment option. You could either pay for your in-game currency at a 20% markup. Compared to its normal rate. Because Apple takes a 30% cut of that. Or you can. Use an external link. A button that links you to an external site. Pay there. And bypass Apple's 30% cut. Well Apple wasn't too thrilled with that. Mostly because. Their terms of service say you are required. If you have in-app purchasing. To. Go through. Apple's internal system you have no choice period according to Apple Epic thought that's BS that's anti-competitive and monopolistic we're suing you as a result of this and then they got really really angry at each other for about a full year started leaking a whole bunch of stuff and Epic was saying that This is a huge blow to them, and Apple's taking so much money from from them because of this anti-competitive model, and Epic's got a point. The way the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store is set up is very monopolistic, and the fact that they're taking a 30% cut of these sort of things for a digital platform is kind of high. It really is. Now, the main reason that it's 30% is because in the retail space, the retail store takes a 30% cut of anything that's sold. But that 30% covers employees of the store, space on the store shelves, the store's rent. It covers pretty much all the operational costs of the store. In a digital store, on the other hand, there are basically no employees. There is basically no rent. There is basically no electric... No, there is an electric bill. But the costs for running a digital store are way lower than a digital one. And that's the argument that Epic Games is putting forward. And the fact... That in the case of a physical store, you could just. You don't have to use, say, Best Buy or Circuit City or Walmart or anything of that nature. You have choices in the case of the iOS platform. You have no choice. You have to use the Apple App Store. That is how this whole thing ended up starting. Now, I want to be clear that Apple versus Epic Games is the primary focus because that's where most of Epic Games' flack has been thrown. Epic has, in fact, also done the same thing to Google and the Android store. However, a lot of that argument kind of falls apart. Because, well, you're allowed other stores on the Google on the Google platform. And Google also avoided this whole thing by just going. Hey, let's talk behind doors and just, you know, let's let's talk this out. And actually, I want to say and granted, it's been a while, but I want to say like. Eight months ago, uh, Google and Epic Games came to a a conclusion and uh, they offered Epic Games a lower rate, similar to what they've done to other apps of a similar size. And also Google restructured how they do cuts as well. Apple did as well. But Epic has still been... Really going after Apple. Because in the case of Android. You can install another store. Heck there's a Samsung store on my Samsung phone. That I just never use. Because that store sucks. You have options on Android. You don't on Apple. And I have. Stated over and over again. I don't think. Epic Games cares. About what their cut. That they have to pay Apple is. I think the end game for Epic Games going after the Apple App Store is to get an Epic Game Store on iOS. That is what I think is Epic's end goal. To get a store on iOS. I am 100% I I can almost guarantee you that is their goal. But of course, this raises some issues. First off, as I said in the original claim, that this cut that Apple was taking from Fortnite is supposedly a substantial... The central amount and is absolutely killing the Fortnite model, but there is a problem with that. L- documents that have been exposed showed that Fortnite makes the overwhelming majority of its revenue on the PlayStation platform, not iOS. Unfortunately, the article I chose did not have the nice little chart that I first used for the early bird briefing, but here's what the document showed. The PS4 generates 46.8% of Fortnite's total revenue from March 2018 to July 2020. The Xbox One generates 27.5%. iOS ranked 5th. With just 7% of total revenue. The remaining 18.7% is split between Android, Nintendo Switch, and the PC platform. I am actually stunned by... I would have thought PCs would have been way higher. I honestly thought the order would have been... I thought, if anything i I was convinced mobile would have been top then pcs then consoles. boy, would I have lost that bet two thirds almost seventy five percent of fortnite's revenue is from desktop consoles. Over 75% if you include the Nintendo Switch. That is incredible. That is actually incredible. And that is a big, big problem for Epic Games. Think about this for a second. The whole case was launched all because Epic tried to say that they were losing a substantial amount of money And this was a huge, huge blow to them. This could, in fact, throw the entire case out due to false pretenses. That's big. There's a decent chance by the time you hear this podcast, the case has already been thrown out. Just as a programming note, we record this podcast on Saturday, and this podcast will go on the various networks on Monday, on the on the day that this case is brought to opening arguments. So if there has been any earth-shattering revelations about it, we don't know it yet, but we will cover them on tomorrow's early ber- briefing, most likely. So that is actually a big, big problem for Epic Games. But then, of course, there's another problem. Part of the other argument that Epic Games brings forward is that there is only one way to get an application on the iPhone. But there isn't. Microsoft xCloud is getting on the iOS platform by just running their entire operation as a web app. By just running it in a web browser and having the cloud do all the computation of the game. You can, in fact, get Fortnite on the App Store, despite the fact that it is banned just through xCloud well guess what epic games is intentionally keeping fortnite off xCloud because it quote sees it as a rival and also it gets around the ban and the whole point (laughs) epic is bringing the case into court in the first place oh boy good job good job epic So that's kind of a big problem, don't you think? So, well, things are looking less and less good for Epic Games, as it were. However, in the PC space, both the Epic Game Store and the Microsoft Store inconvenient against steam are lowering their revenue cut to 12% rather than the 30 that steam does well this is gonna get interesting at least Microsoft in their Windows App Store that almost no one ever uses, At least Microsoft hasn't gone around and tried to do exclusivity deals to absolutely make every single gamer hate the platform for not giving them the choice of where they want to go ahead and keep their entire library. So at least I applaud Microsoft for that. So, yay. Competition that's actually accomplishing something interesting. Although, back to Apple for a second. Apple actually went ahead and did something good. We have been talking about this for a while. iOS 14.5. This update features many... Many amazing, incredible features, such as the ability to unlock your phone with your watch, a feature that I've been enjoying on Samsung's for the past three years. And of course, most importantly, kissing emojis. That right there, that is the key thing. Having your emojis kiss, and also that whole transparency, tra- that whole tracking transparency thing that gives you the ability to choose whether an app can stalk you or not, that has caused a bunch of controversy between Facebook and Apple. But that's minor. Come on, kissing emojis. Uh, yeah. So, the tracking transparency feature is now out. Despite the fact that pretty much everyone and their mother that goes ahead and runs any kind of social media platform has been threatening Apple to not do it because their upends their entire business model because their entire business model basically is built on the fact that they can stalk you. Well, Apple has gone ahead and made it, so that doesn't matter. You can go ahead and choose whether an app can collect data on you or not on the iPhone. To which I have one question. Hey, Google. When are you going to do it? Huh? When are you going to do it? When are you going to give us Android users the ability to choose whether we can be stalked by Facebook or not? I'm just saying. I would like this feature. Please. Pretty please. That would be really, really swell. What could have come to Android, though, was uh, iMessage. In documents that were revealed as the case of Epic versus Apple draws closer and closer, one thing that was revealed was in the documentation, there was apparently a record of the iMessage app being proposed to launch for Android. iMessage, for those who don't know, is what ended up replacing their Apple's basic texting feature, except it was also able to communicate on newer platforms as well, not just SMS. I have actually forgot what SMS stands for. But we could have had it on Android. That could have actually been interesting. That honestly is kind of a big missed opportunity, if you ask me, from Apple. For the longest time, iTunes was like the de facto standard for a lot of MP3 playing. All because they launched an app for Windows. Nowadays, of course, that's been taken over by apps like Spotify and whatnot. But if they freaking brought iMessage to Android back in 2013? Dude. That could have been big. Like, really, really big. What a missed opportunity that was. Rumors are going around saying that the next follow-up chip of the M1 is going into mass production for the Mac. To which I'd say, nah. Really. Many people are speculating that this is going to be the M2, the successor to the M1. Uh, I think, actually... We are going to see an M1X. So hear me out. I'm willing to bet we're only going to see two or three versions of each Apple Silicon processor. For those who are unsure what we're talking about, uh, Apple for the longest time has used Intel processors. They use like a Core i3, a Core i5, a Core i7, or whatever. But lately they have been suffering in performance. Most part due to, A, Intel being unable to crack the code on 10 nanometer. And also, B, Apple has been putting in terrible thermal solutions into their computers. So these computers basically overheat in an instant and have to downclock their performance. This is actually part of the reason why Apple's new Apple Silicon-based Max have been drastically overperforming their Intel counterparts because the Intel chips have been greatly underperforming because they reach 100 Celsius in an instant and then can't go anywhere because they are sweating inside their chassis with nowhere to dump that heat because you gave them. A heatsink that is basically the size of three business cards stacked on top of each other. Or in the case of the MacBook Air, you built a heatsink and then a fan is on the opposite end of the computer. I still do not understand what the thought process was with that built with that design. Why? Oh why would you put the heatsink so far away from the fan that it does literally nothing? Some days, Apple, you just, but in any case, I'm willing to bet we're going to have three different versions. The basic, the X version, which will be a performance-based one. We'll probably see that in the 15-inch MacBook Pro, as well as whatever's going to be, I'm willing to bet we're going to see the 27-inch iMac be called the iMac Pro again. And that's most likely going to have an M1X. Because the iMacs we saw. I mean their performance was actually even worse than the iPads. So this next generation that's being put into production. I don't think it's going to be the M2. I think it's going to be the M1X. And I'm willing to bet there's going to be one step above that. And that's going to be the workhorse for the Mac Pro. The desktop version. And that's the one I am very curious. How powerful is is a mac is a full tower workstation grade arm chip going to be? Very curious on that one. But of course, we won't know until later on. Now, Spotify, and I swear, this was not the reason why I switched podcast providers. I want to clarify that. This is not, under any circumstances, why I changed podcast providers. But Spotify's podcasting platform, also known as Anchor, is launching podcast subscriptions to challenge Apple's setup. And they promise no creator fees for two years as they're launching this program. Now, for the record, my podcast right now, both the Early Bird Briefing and Eagle Eyes on Tech, does not take advantage of this setup yet. I have not made a decision on whether I'm going to or not. But basically, here's what this is supposed to do. Apple, as we talked about last week, launched an overhaul of their podcasting platform, including channels and a whole bunch of other stuff that's supposed to help increase discoverability. In addition, they launched a subscription model where you can, in fact, subscribe to a podcast and either get exclusive content or... gain access to the ability to listen to that podcast without ads. This overhaul was actually one of the reasons why I left Spreaker, since the Spreaker platform showed no signs of updating their entire setup to be compatible with this overhaul of Apple podcasts. Well, Spotify saw this model and said, we're going to go ahead and launch podcast subscriptions as well. They specifically announced here, here here's what they said. This is quoted directly from variety on Tuesday, Spotify announced new monetization options for podcast creators, starting with paid subscriptions for the first two years. Spotify's podcast subscriptions will carry no creator fees. So participants will receive 100% 100% of subscriber revenue, excluding the payment transaction fees. Starting in 2023, Spotify plans to take a 5% subscription cut. Podcasters will be able to select one of three price tiers for the subscription. $299, $49, or $799. We felt rather than putting the burden on the creators to set pricing, we should make recommendations based on what our strong prices. The thing is... Now, Let me interject. As far as I'm noting here, they don't say what it's going to do. If it's just subscribing for the sake of subscribing, or will it also gain access to exclusive content, offer ad-free listening? I honestly do not know... At this time. I actually have sent an email out to my rep to uh, well, not my specific representative, but I sent an email out to anchor who is Spotify's podcasting platform for more information. I have not heard anything back as of the time I am recording this. I will update everyone as soon as I hear anything. It is also important to note that uh, these subscriptions cannot be purchased through the Apple App Store or Google Play, so that avoids the Apple App Store and Google Play tax. You have to do it through the actual Anchor website. So at this point, all I can do is shrug and wait and see how this will be going. Again, I will in fact offer more information as I discover it. It is kind of interesting to see another podcasting platform go down this route, and it does make me wonder how others are going to respond to it, because, like I said, with Spreaker and other podcasting platforms, they just, they're comfy just being what they are, and this push that Apple is doing is really showing that the podcasting platform rather than staying in its own personal little bubble like it has for the past five years, wants to find new ways to evolve and give a better experience built into the podcasting platform rather than just offering additional little this and that through platforms like Patreon. We're going to take a break here when we come back. Uh, Samsung had a a very interesting little event where they showed off um, some new NVIDIA products that NVIDIA didn't mention. Whoops. If you want to come and chat with me when I'm recording these podcasts, just go ahead and visit me at twitch.tv slash Eagle Falcon. We record Eagle Eyes on Tech every... Well, usually every Saturday, sometimes it's, we have to do it on a Sunday, but pretty much every Saturday is when we record, record these. And also during the rest of the week, we have all other kinds of fun silliness with all kinds of different games. Check it out. Twitch.tv slash Eagle Falcon. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. All right, so Samsung had an unpacked event. Uh, they basically showed off a whole bunch of laptops. Th- th- that was basically it. There was a couple of little this and that and the other things. None of it was really noticeable other than this laptop. I give you the Galaxy Book Odyssey. And this is notable notable for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it is crazy thin. It has up to two terabytes of storage, thirty two gigabytes of RAM, HDMI, USB type two. I'm so, I'm sorry, two USB type three or USB type C three point two ports. Th- um, no, two USB type C's, three USB. 3.2 ports, a micro SD card, and of course a headphone mic port, which nowadays you can't take for granted. A uh, 135 watt charger that goes through USB C. That is actually very interesting because most USB C ports can only take up to 100 watts. I don't know how they're getting around that. And oh, by the way, An NVIDIA RTX 3050 Ti GPU. Do you notice a problem with this? NVIDIA never announced an RTX 3050 Ti. Not on desktops not on laptops not on anything the lowest gpu we currently have that doesn't exist is an rtx 3060 that's it this gpu is on a new level of not existing i mean granted we're used to in the year 2021 of gpus not existing heck it's been at least once a month nvidia announces a new gpu no one can buy But NVIDIA hasn't even announced this yet. Samsung literally, not favorably, literally announced the existence of an RTX 3050 Ti before NVIDIA. I can only imagine that uh, NVIDIA is not too thrilled with that. But, you know. At least it's something. Assuming you can get this laptop, it could be very good. Depending on its cost, though, however, there is a decent chance it's going to be... Oh, I'm sorry. It's starting at 1400 bucks. Yeah, I don't think that's a very good value if you're hunting down this laptop for cryptocurrency mining. But then again, I mean, depending on its hash rate, maybe it actually is better. I hate this GPU market. I hate it so much. Every GPU is only graded at it, how well it can hash. It makes me so very, very sad. But at least, maybe there's hope though. Maybe there is hope. A new driver release has shown that in fact there is going to be a new cryptocurrency mining limiter And in fact, these new GPUs are going to have a modifier to them so that you can't use the old hack around on their unhackable cryptocurrency mining limiter. Oh, no, 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 no. You see these new ones, these new ones. Can, in fact, they are truly unhackable. Oh, yeah, this this is right. This is it. And they're they're calling it the NVIDIA LHR limited hash rate series. This is going to be it. This is the new sign. That in fact. GPU mining is dead. That's right. We're going to go ahead and we're going to make sure. That no cryptocurrency is ever, ever going to be able to be mined on a GPU ever again. You want to know something though? It doesn't matter. I guarantee you. That. These GPUs will be bought up instantly. Mostly because the board manufacturers. Because there's of course supply line shortages. Aren't going to be able to. Produce enough of these to meet demand. And then. Here's where things get juicier. I guarantee you. Two weeks. In two weeks. This limiter. Will be cracked. Though the old one is only cracked. Because there was a leak. Yeah. I'd say in two weeks. There's either going to be. A leak. Or someone's going to crack it. I'm only going to say two weeks. Because the hackers. That will go ahead and try to crack this. Need to get their hands on the blasted card. In the first place. but I guarantee you within two weeks it's going to be cracked or maybe I'm going to be wrong in the first place because here's a nice little uh, interesting story I just saw in the sidebar do you know what killed Bitcoin mining in the first place does anyone know what killed it Why does no one mine Bitcoin with GPUs anymore? It was because of the dawn of something called an ASIC. An application specific integrated circuit. These ASICs basically ramped up the amount of bitcoins that could be mined so much that gpu mining was unfeasible for bitcoin then we had the surge of ethereum and that could only be and that was the next cryptocurrency that was worth anything that could be mined with gpus then of course the the price of ethereum and the amount you could mine with a gpu became so inefficient that well the market got flooded with 1060s and everyone just bought a whole bunch of the used 1060s Then Ampere came out and its hash rate was so good that it made cryptocurrency mining valid again. It then also didn't help that a bunch of people like Elon Musk started saying that cryptocurrency was going to save the world of whatever they were starting the nonsense of. But basically, Ethereum can still be mined with the GPU because, of course, well, there's been no other better way to mine Ethereum. Until now. Antminer, who has been responsible for some of the Bitcoin ASICs, has developed an ASIC for Ethereum. An ASIC that is so efficient that one of them can do the work of 32 RTX 3080s. This is going to make a much, much bigger impact on the GPU market than anything else. We have no release date on this ASIC as of yet, but if this can, in fact, change on how it's all being done, uh, if if this actually does go out and get into enough hands. that is actually make a much bigger impact and then of course this asic will also work on any other cryptocurrency that uses a similar blockchain to ethereum so you know ethereum goes through with how the heck they were going to be doing i can't remember what- i don't remember the exact specifics of how they were going to change how it's mined someone in chat asked and i legit cannot remember anymore but of course Ethereum changing wouldn't matter because you can just go to Ethereum alt this ASIC assuming Antminer can make enough and that's a big if because I don't know who, who uh, Antminer uses as their foundry to make these chips I'm assuming TSMC But this is gonna make a much bigger impact than anything NVIDIA does. I'm I'm start I'm starting to have faith again. I'm starting to have faith that we could, in fact, maybe, just maybe, see GPUs again by the end of the year. That being said, however, um, TSMC in their recent uh, earnings call did say they expect the shortages to last into 2022 which uh that may quite possibly be the most depressing thing I have ever heard All right AMD is talking about their Zen 5 architecture this is gonna. This is still gonna be a ways out. This is gonna be a ways out. But this is actually very interesting. AMD is talking about making a big little design. What is big little? Big little is an architecture that has been used on ARM devices for. The last five years, I want to say, where you have two sets of CPU cores. You have a set of low power efficiency cores and then a set of big, strong, powerful cores. In fact, that's why a lot of cell phones were trying to get away with calling themselves an octa core system because they had two sets of of quad core chips. four high clock cores and four low clock cores this amd strix point apu that's being designed is going to have eight high performance cores and four high efficiency cores Now, AMD is only planning on having this on their APUs, which is a stupid name for their CPUs that have an integrated GPU on them, specifically because this is the kind of thing that would work great in, say, a laptop or, you know, if you have a whole bunch of PCs for, you know, like an office. Only go ahead and switch to the high wattage cores when you're actually doing a workload and then when you're not just go ahead and just use the power sipping cores for going through and doing your spreadsheets. And then when you're going ahead and dinking around on YouTube, then it kicks off to the high performance cores. They're also saying this sucker is going to be based on the three nanometer. Three nanometers. Three nanometers. Built on three nanometers. what? That is not many nanometers. So we're gonna see, you know how easy this will go. I could imagine that with Zen, big little is gonna be much easier than intel since zen already uses what's called a chiplet design where they have small cpus on the actual chip and then uses a i forgot what they called it oh god i forgot what what it was the the uh there was like there's another like central core that was like the that was like the the back fabric or whatever the heck it was that mixes up all the chi- chiplets and have the, has them all communicate with each other and that's how zen got to be the giant that it is but in any case i digress i could imagine Ryzen having a much easier time integrating this kind of design because of uh, of that, but we currently just got the Ryzen 5000 series. This wouldn't come out until the Ryzen 8000 series. Right now, the roadmap is that Zen 3 Plus is going to be the Ryzen 6000 series. Zen 4, a brand new architecture will be the Ryzen 7000 series. This big little design is going to be Zen 5 as the Ryzen 8000 series. So we we're probably not going to see this for another 3 years. Who knows though. Maybe it's going to be pushed out and maybe all silicon is not going to be available anywhere as uh, this entire silicon shortage is driving me absolutely insane and I hate it. I just want that to go on the record. Chat saying by the time this comes out, this could be for the PlayStation 6. I don't think so. I don't think they're going to come out with a new PlayStation in just three years. This could be the perfect time for... Ooh, actually, this would be great for a PS5 Pro. You have the little chiplets just basically be the exact same chips it's using now and then have and then have it switch over to a high performance pro mode on the same die. It could be for a PS5 Pro. That would make sense. Xbox uh, Xbox's FPS boost is now available for a handful of games le- such as Battlefield, Star Wars Battlefront and the Titanfall series. So if you are one of the few that have a Xbox that can use the Xbox's FPS boost feature, good news, you can now do it. However, I I want to say it's only available on the Xbox Series X in which case, yay. Woo! look at that another thing that no one can buy but I'm not gonna lie I don't remember because of course it's the Xbox I honestly don't pay that close attention to the Xbox because anything I can get for the Xbox I can get for a PC but then again unlike a PC the Xbox actually has a GPU in it Unlike all PCs, which don't, because GPUs are a myth. GPUs are a myth that us senior gamers tell our children and tell them one day, you too could have a gaming card inside your PC. It feels bad. Let's feel better by the fact that uh, Acer is coming out with a gaming monitor that is going to be able to... reach a 9 I'm sorry a 390 hertz refresh rate that is 330 hertz more than my current monitor which just feels absolutely ridiculous I want to know if anyone could tell the difference between a 240 hertz and a 390 hertz someone get on that I am actually legit curious. Can anyone actually tell the difference in other headlines? We're going to blast through CD project. Red has lost $50 million in cyberpunk 2077 refunds. Which is not an unsubstantial amount of money. Man. I almost feel bad for them. I really do. Now, granted, $50 million is a big number, but they did make around $303 million on the game's launch. So, at least they made some money. There is that. I have heard that the Fixes going to Cyberpunk Ev actually, but they've been coming through very, very slowly. But who they're trying, they're they're trying their best. I still haven't played the game. I have no idea how good or bad it is. Basically, as far as I know, and correct me, chat if I'm wrong. But basically, the the consensus on Cyberpunk 2077 is is if you are a PC gamer, you will have a playable and fairly decent time. If you are a console gamer, the Cyberpunk 2077 is an absolute nightmare. Or maybe we should just instead uh, just let Sony play our games for us as Sony has patented an AI that studies the way that you play your games and will imitate your play style and play the game for you while you are gone this this will legitimately actually make Old school Korean style grindfest MMOs. Completely trivial. Yes, my friends, Sony has in fact made botting and MMOs that much smarter. Bravo! Bravo, Sony! You did it! Some of the chat points out that Square Enix has beat Sony to this with the Gambit system in Final Fantasy XII. Oh, man. Now, but this is different because it's an AI that learns as opposed to fine-tuning a Gambit system. I actually enjoyed fine-tuning the Gambit system in FF12. But you ask a whole lot of other gamers and they hated the Gambit system. And, man, I... Strongly disagree with that. I loved that system. Absolutely loved it. Giving AI control, but I fine-tune how it behaves? Sign me up. And I have accidentally ended up with a duplicate story in my list. Alright, getting distracted with that little... uh, Problem there ascend is a robotic d brace we have created a robotic knee brace, but it's on a budget at a mere seven thousand dollars and in fact can be covered under Medicare for better or for worse. I for one am just more fascinated by the fact we are. This much closer to basically cybernetics. Like we talk about on this podcast how we've gone, we've gone ahead and we've made this implant or that implant, but it's just like an experiment at a college campus and it could theoretically be used and it's kind of cool. This is actually a thing you could buy. an actual robotic brace that can actually help you walk. Granted, I do not have seven grand to spend on it. Also, my knees work. But, wow. It actually exists. It's actually a real thing. I am actually fascinated by this I'm also fascinated by this Uh, Riot is going to be recording Valorant voice chat to quote fight toxicity and here's the thing you have to opt in to this program to have Valorant record your voice chat or else you cannot use voice chat. Oh boy. Now I'm not going to lie. I have not been paying attention to Valorant as a game. But. uh So I have no idea how toxic the Valorant player base is but the fact you have to opt in to having your voice being recorded and then reviewable by valorant is uh i'm not going to lie it's a it's a, it's a little creepy just just a touch bit creepy now supposedly valorant will not listen to your recording unless someone reports you which that in itself shows that this system is going to be abused. Let me know how well that works for you. For for you, uh, Epic, or not Epic, uh, Riot. That's going to be uh, interesting. Some people who are trying to get... Tesla's solar roof program are uh, finding out that uh, the costs for their solar roof program can be up to double the estimated costs in the first place because uh, well Tesla basically just made an oopsie when calculating your price Uh, chat in regards to the previous story pointed out that, uh, it is illegal to record their voice without their approval. Um, it varies from state to state here in the U S at least, um, various states require if you record someone's voice that it has to have the consent of all parties involved, some, like my own state, only require the consent of one of the people involved to record a voice. so I don't know how uh legally riots riots plan to record voices and only list them when they're reported is going to work. that is uh that's going to be very interesting. I didn't even think about that from a legal standpoint. But yeah, Tesla can't math. Oops. Uh, on, honestly though, who is actually surprised that Tesla cannot math? Though the fact that uh the fact that uh you go ahead and calculate how much it would cost to build your roof with a solar roof, by the way, for those who don't know, Tesla offers a feature called Tesla Solar Roof, in which your roof is going to be built out of a special tile that is in itself a solar panel, but it looks very close to being a normal roof. One thing that no one has mentioned is how is how much power this solar roof can generate versus traditional solar panels. That I've been very curious about, and no one has provided numbers about that. I would be very curious. But what's been more interesting first is finding out that Tesla has been off by up to a factor of 100% between the estimated cost and how much the actual cost is. And that's a much bigger problem, because if you quote me, you know, let's say that would be a reasonable number. Let's say they estimate 10 grand to build this solar roof. I have no idea how much the actual cost is. Let's say I set aside 10 grand and then they come up and say, oh, I'm sorry. It's actually 20 grand. I would be livid because all of a sudden, you know, we start going through the preparation process of this and they find out, oh, JK, it's you, you need to come with, You need to cough up another 10 grand. What if I don't have that? Do I just have half a roof now? That's that's not okay. I'm just saying that is super not okay. Boston Dynamics, I'm sorry, and the New York Police has stopped using the Boston Dynamics RoboDog following backlash. Apparently in the in in New York City there has been a backlash from residents and politicians in regards to the New York police deploying Spot the robot dog during certain incidents I'm not going to lie I'm not sure as to why. Mostly, what has been said is that the use of Spot the Dog re- introduces privacy concerns. While on the crime scene, uh, these same people seem don't seem to realize that we have uh, pretty much browbeated police officers into wearing body cameras. At all times. So the whole point of privacy being a. Concern is kind of out of the window. When all police officers are required to wear a camera at all times. To make sure that they are. You know. Not using excessive force. That was the whole point but no robot dog. That's a privacy issue. How am I supposed to know when there's a robot dog walking through my hallway? Besides the fact that you can hear it because there's a giant electric motor making the whole blasted thing work. Mayor Bill de Blasio has said to the New York times that he was quote, glad that the digi dog was put down. And the adding the machine was creepy, alienating, and sends the wrong message to New Yorkers. I, I have a question: What message should it be sending? I I, I legit want to know, does anyone have a good reason other than robot may spy? I would have thought the first issue in this whole thing would be the cost because I'm not going to lie. $94,000 Ninety-four thousand dollars to get a robot dog That seems like kind of a uh that seems like a bigger reason to get rid of spots than just is creepy. Someone in chat says they could have swore that the mayor was the one who was approved and tried to push getting The robot dog in place. Well. I guess that's gone now. So it is what it is. I just would have liked to have seen a real answer being given as to why you cancel contract. That's just me though. But that brings us to the last verb, the last story of the day, the weirdest story of the week. Netflix, for reasons that baffle scientists everywhere, has brought on a VTuber to promote their anime department. Why? If you somehow don't know what a VTuber is, a VTuber is basically a person that uses special camera equipment to puppeteer an animated character. And then also voice acts simultaneously the animated character. The VTuber for. Netflix is called Enco who is a sheep human life form that is going to do something we don't know what but it's going to do something to help promote watching anime on Netflix I just I, I I have a hard time seeing what the uh what the reason is. Now if this is being used in strictly Japan, that I one thousand percent see why. Cause one thing that is big in in Japan is just having a mascot for any reason whatsoever. For a global market, however, which is what this appears to be targeted as, it just comes off as, why, why have we decided to to make this life decision? It just, mm. well, I guess we'll only just see what they have planned. For all we know, uh, Enco plans on uh, just... Being an actual traditional VTuber on, say, platforms like YouTube and Twitch, and just say, oh, hey, and just occasionally go, we are sponsored by Netflix, and I apologize for that terrible accent. I felt bad the instant I did it. That's going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Take care, and hopefully we will see you next time. the real problem here though with Netflix using this VTuber is the fact that it's part sheep Netflix you are using a sheep to communicate to your potential customers to go ahead and do something is that all we are to you Netflix are we sheep Who need to be herded into being leaned away from other platforms and only using Netflix? Is that all we are to you? Is that all ENCO is? Is ENCO our anime shepherd to realize the true anime-ness is to only be on Netflix? I'm just saying... I I don't think it's a coincidence here that it's a sheep. I'll tell you one thing. I'm not sheep. I'm going to fight the power. I need to watch that show.